the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show. Moderna stock is jumping today in the world of story stocks. Maker of a COVID-19 vaccine crushed it. They delivered strong performance. Thankful for the progress their team continues to make with advanced pipelines for mRNA medicines. Moderna seems to be one of the companies that has really gotten the spotlight put on them for mRNA technologies and how will it help us with cancers, diseases? How will we be able to alter our approach to fighting and and using vaccines that are safe? Um, Many scientists are saying United States and the Western countries are faring better than Russia and China in COVID because we use more modern medicine than they did. I kind of have to think that might be true. I studied a lot of biology and chemistry many, many years ago when I was a young man in college. And a lot of the science that companies like Merck, Pfizer, and Lilly kind of still are known for is molecular and not genetic um, and not protein-based. Very old, very safe approach to medicine. Um, not saying that new medicine is going to turn us all into walking zombies. Maybe it will. Probably it won't. Uh, we have a pretty good testing situation in the United States where we have phase one, phase two, and phase three lab trials. If a company can get to past phase one, which is kind of modeling, it moves into phase two animal, phase three human. You never invest in a phase one unless you're really speculative. Um, trying to think of something that's humor humorous here and like i can't do it i was like okay let's give viagra to a lab rat and i'm like okay that's kind of funny i'm like no 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 you can see okay okay i'm just gonna drop it moderna had a great quarter and the hope is that we're pulling some technology forward drop the whole thing on covid yes or no um third leading cause in america last year it's a yes it was a problem Uber did something kind of interesting. They released earnings early to show that they're not left, which is pretty interesting because I'm also going to come back to Marriott has joined the chorus today. The travel demand is strong. Uber and Lyft are two companies that we're looking at right now to figure out where are we pre-pandemic, pandemic, post-pandemic, uh, strong economy, uh, bolstered economy with the Federal Reserve and with the United States government slash gov- economy stand on their own. Ubers and Lyfts are expensive. Now, are they expensive as driving to the airport, leaving your car for a week, and having someone break into it? No, 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 no. But they're not cheap either. Uber reported surging revenue during the first quarter as ride-hailing company said it's recovering from its coronavirus lows and wouldn't have to put up significant investments to keep drivers on the platform. They reported a $5.9 billion loss during the quarter. Right now, you know as well as I do, I know what company that's losing money is not loved on Wall Street. Companies were down 
basically because Lyft had a much worse quarter. Uber comes out and says, you know what? We're going to release numbers a little bit early because we're not them. But ultimately, we decide that kind of guilt by association. Uber expects gross bookings of about $28.5 billion. It expects its EBITDA earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization of about 240 to 270 million. Here's what I don't like about EBITDA. And if you listen to the show long enough, you kind of can know where I'm going. I'll give you a second. EBITDA is fantasy. It's like saying I'm probably the hottest catch in the world to all women if they don't look at my stomach, if they don't look at my hairline, if they don't look at my wallet, if they don't look at my sense of humor or the fact that I steal jokes from late night comedians. It's fantasy. You are what you are. Earnings now, break that down. Before you pay interest, before you pay taxes, before you depreciate assets, before you amortize, that's fantasy because you have to do all those things. Just my opinion. They did have meaningful cash flows. That's a nice thing to say and see. CEO Koshirari, that's easy for me to say. Um, he's well-liked. He is well-liked as a CEO. They've picked up investments in delivery companies, Grab, Autonomous Vehicle Company, Aurora, Chinese ride-hailing giant Didi. In prepared marks, the company has the liquidity to maintain its positions and will wait for a better time to sell some of their foreign uh, holdings. Mobile bookings were up 58% year over year. Delivery was up 12% year over year. Delivery is a $13.9 billion business, and mobility is a $10.7 billion business. I think at the start of the year, no, let's not say start of the year. I think three years ago, 2019, I kind of felt like delivery is going to be kind of f- fractured because there's so many companies like the DoorDashes and the Grubhubs and the, there's too many of them. But Uber's kind of dominant at it. The need to increase the number of drivers on the platform is nothing new, nor is it a surprise. Ride-hailing companies have struggled with supply and demand since COVID-19 pandemic. Uber's had to rely on incentives to bring drivers back, which aid in financials. Speaking with an Uber driver recently who was like, what's Joey? I, I came in on into the Oakland airport. I needed to be driven back to Marin. I said, which is more profitable, an airport run that's long or a few hours in San Francisco? I guess I'd rather be in San Francisco because I make five times as much because we jack the prices during evening hours in on the weekend in the big city. I'm like, okay, okay. So I was like, he probably isn't too happy. <laughs> I better do what I can to like be an easy ride for him so he doesn't remember where I live. Still, that's the creepiest thing about Uber, isn't it? And Lyft. Drivers pick you up and you've got luggage ready to go to the airport and they're like, oh, going on a trip? And you're like, yeah, two weeks. I'll be gone two weeks. I'm like, oh, I won't pass the word around and tell everyone to come live in your home for two weeks. So I'm always, first thing I say when I get into it, where I was like, did you remember to turn on the security system, honey? I know you're saying, you think these things that far through? I kind of do. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. Let's take a look at some of the more interesting numbers out there and ideas. See where we're going. Child care is wildly expensive state by state. It's different. Um, cost per year for childcare in Texas is $9,300 in California. It's almost 17,000 
if you happen to be in a state like Milwaukee, um, Wisconsin, I'm sorry, new state Milwaukee, you're talking about $10,800. So we kind of get that things differ in the United States. And again, it's, we are Goldilocks. Some of us are big. Some of us are small. Some of us are just right. Some of us are hot. Some of us are cold. Some of us are just right. Um, in South Carolina, you can get child care for a year for $7,000. Seems a little bit different, right? Burger King's parent company reported earnings that beat expectations thanks to sales bump from fast food chains to international locations. I saw that Subway revealed in public filings they're closing over 1,000-plus more stores this year. About 20 years ago, I used to get calls regularly. Hey, Rob, should I become a franchisee for Subway? I'm like, you really want to make sandwiches for other people? Because franchisees have a tough time hiring to make money. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Find me online at robblackshow.com. An education-first approach to managing your money. This is the Rob Black Show. Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening. What does the story of Goldilocks mean for you? Maybe nothing, maybe everything. Noticing the doors open and taking that as an opportunity to enter a bear's home is burglary. Trying to stay, lay down in a bed that's just right is putting yourself in someone else's bed. Weird to take a nap, right? We don't all come in one size. There's papa bears who are big. There's mama bears who are smaller. And there's baby bears who are the smallest. Bears had three different sized chairs, bowls, and beds. They were not the same age nor the same size. We all like and want things differently. Daddy's food was too hot. Mommy's was too cold. Baby's was just right. Goldilocks and the three bears. Goldilocks was never welcomed into the bear's house. She took it upon herself to enter and partake. Let some people stroll into our homes. Don't let other people stroll into our homes. Lend a helping hand by offering up a meal and or not. Life lessons to live by or just a silly old fairy tale. That silly old fairy tale is on display today. We want Goldilocks. If we were a creepy Craigslist ad, our economy would say, want it for the economy. Goldilocks must be just right. Not too hot, not too cold. And the Fed Reserve is trying to engineer a way for Goldilocks to come in and do a soft landing into the United States economy as they're raising interest rates. We saw 1.4% correction in growth in the first quarter. It's not as bad as it appears to the overall economy. The United States is much more sheltered than Europe, but the issues that hit us hit the world as well. Issues associated with another blow of Omicron, the war in Ukraine, the new lockdowns in China, Domestic spending actually accelerated while government spending and growth actually cratered. Pillars of domestic demand actually picked up in the first quarter, which is exactly the, what, what we were seeing before last week when we saw GDP contract. It's more of a global issue than a U.S. issue. Consumer spending in the U.S. housing market is a very important part of the economy. Business investments added 3.2%. That's actually up from the fourth quarter. So the economy was getting, it's getting better and better. Housing held up with all cash buyers, further crowding out first-time buyers. Business investment, which had been relatively weak, accelerated sharply. 
weakness in our GDP report was those that got the noisiest attention. Inventories were accumulated at a much slower pace. Inventories are kind of important in GDP data because we look at it and we see something that looks like, um, oh, we've already made enough cars. And now we need to wait to sell them. And when that happens, we're not buying more steel. We're not buying more paint. We're not having employees work in the factory a little bit longer. We got enough of them. The inventory is built up. So less inventory buildup is telling you, well, maybe we can't get our hands on the goods, or maybe corporations are starting to say, okay, we thought we were going to grow a little faster than we did, so we're going to tame our numbers. The Fed doesn't have a long history of fighting inflation without derailing overall economic growth. In fact, a lot of people blame many of the recessions that we've had on the Federal Reserve going too far, too fast, and creating recessions. Um, What's worse, job losses or rampant inflation? Job losses or rampant inflation? Inflation soared to its fastest pace in four decades. The good news is that was not enough to derail the huge domestic spending that we had in the United States and the GDP numbers. The employment cost index, which includes benefits as well as wages, soared to the fastest pace in 30 years. Year over year, gaining the index hit 4.5%, the hottest pace since the tech bubble. Without offsetting productivity gains, we saw back then. Fed doesn't have a long history of getting this right, and yet they're expecting us, we're expecting them to get it right. Weakness in the first quarter was more reflective of weakness abroad than weakest home. So when we see that GDP print, we don't, we kind of come on across our fingers and say, okay, Fed Reserve, you're seeing what we're seeing, or are you seeing something different? We'll know later today. If Goldilocks is in the building or not, by the way Wall Street reacts, we may not know definitively whether Goldie House is in the building for a few months and or not. Most of us are betting that there's going to be a recession later this year, sometime next year, or definitively the year after, because historically, that's when recessions happen, once every four years. Now, just because we haven't had a real one, and I say a real one because during the pandemic, we had two quarters of negative GDP growth, technically a recession, but not so real in the sense that we didn't, it didn't last long and it didn't feel out of place or out of character. You weren't reading stories about food lines. You were reading stories about toilet paper shortages. There's a phrase on Wall Street that says, sell a man, go away. What do you think about that? Do you like simple investment nuggets? that you can eat in one or two bites, dip in a little barbecue sauce, and you're like, mmm, yummy. I understand it's the toes and the beak and the neck and the gizzards of the chicken. You put it in some uh, eggy batter. You throw in some nice crust on it. You fry it in a jacuzzi of grease, and grotesque turns into, mmm, yummy. You like simple ideas. Sell in May and go away. Over the past 10 years, stocks delivered positive returns during that six-month period between May and October. Although you can't argue that, you know, historically there's been some weak spells during the summer as Wall Streeters go to Connecticut to the beach for the summer and take prolonged vacations, come back, do enough trading to hit their bonuses, check out for the holiday season. The saying began in England, though. It was originally dubbed Sell in May and go away until St. Ledger's Day, which referenced a popular horse race called the St. Ledger Stakes that was held in September, marking the end of summer and a return of the stock market traders. 
Uh, stock market traders bring volume, volume, volume. You get better pricing when you get more volume. You get big jumps up, big jumps down when you get less volume. Since 1950, the May through October period has generated the lowest six-month period of returns for the S&P 500 with an average return of 1.8% with a win ratio of 65%. So yes, the gains from November through April are considerably better and considerably easier to win. You can't argue that these months historically have been weak. They still support a positive return. So I don't know if you really want to sell in May and totally go away as that would not be wise. Whereas, uh, was it which President George Bush was? It was the first one to say, wouldn't it be prudent? Wouldn't it be prudent? Historically, May through October has been a weak stretch for stocks, but it hasn't necessarily been negative. The SP 500 was up nine out of 10 last years from May through October, delivering an average 5.7% return. I would take that, especially with years of inflation now that we're looking at. Will it be one year of inflation? Will it be two years of inflation? But this is the time where we need our stocks, our wages, our homes. If you feel like they're not keeping up with inflation, you're going to feel desperate, dire. Anyhow, Goldilocks, we're looking for you. We need a soft landing. We need to be just right what the Fed does today. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me online on robblackshow.com. The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more about EP's unique approach to managing wealth at robblackshow.com. A personal financial plan with custom investment advice. That's why Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. With over $12 billion in assets under management and more than 80 financial professionals at the helm, EP services were built with you in mind. How can they help you? Find out at robblackshow.com. Robblackshow.com. I'm looking at some of Uber's numbers that they reported this morning. Reported 1.7 billion trips on the platform during the quarter, up 18% from the same quarter a year ago. Monthly active platform consumers reached 115 million, up 17%. So there's some, again, strong antidotal evidence there, seen in the numbers of a corporation that we are reopening. Marriott had positive things to say about the economy as well. U.S. economy versus world economy. Let's bring in Patrick O'Hare to talk about where we are. Today is Fed Day. I've been saving some ammunition on that. So as to give it to him, how are you, Mr. O'Hare at briefing.com? Good morning, Rob. I'm doing well, thanks. And uh, primed and ready to hear what Fed Chair Powell has to say today. Sounds like we're having audio problems. Hello, can you hear me? I got you, sir. What's up? What's up? Good what do you make of these? Yeah, good morning. What do you think about Fed Day today? Big day, right? Big day. Big, 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 big day. It is a big day. Uh, and, uh, you know, the market obviously knows that it's going to hear something hawkish sounding anyway, certainly as it relates to the decision that's coming out today. Uh, we'll get 50 basis points. Uh, you'll hear some uh, detail on a formal balance sheet reduction plan. Uh, but it's really now in terms of from the market's viewpoint, you know, what it hears from Fed Chair Powell with respect to what, you know, the next move might be. You know, it's a very myopic type of viewpoint, but this market, which, of course, got pummeled in April, uh, is littered with negativity right now and, and seemingly, I think, really, you know, wants to grasp onto any excuse to, uh, to rally. And if it can find some excuse in the fact that the Fed Chair perhaps 
implies that you know a 75 basis point rate hike in June is is an unlikely move, uh, then we could see some you know upside volatility uh, in response to that. You know, and I say that though with the caveat. Uh, that we have to see also how the Treasury market takes uh, the whole, the totality of the Fed's decision today, uh, because we, as we all know, uh, the rapid pace of change in interest rates has certainly weighed heavily on the stock market. And so if you see the Treasury market react uh, quite negatively today, that could ultimately uh, interrupt any, uh, any rally effort on the part of stocks. What do you mean by the Treasury um, acting negatively today? Well, it, you know, we have the 10-year yield, right? It's pushing up against huh? 3% at the moment. Um, what what market participants think they're going to hear from the Fed is that uh, we'll get some type of uh, plan that has a monthly cap uh, to reduce the size of the balance sheet at, at $95 billion. It's $60 billion for treasuries and $35 billion for agency mortgage-backed securities, and that was kind of um, teased in the, um, uh, the minutes from the last meeting. Um, so if you see something higher than that, uh, that would be a surprise element. Um, if you see uh, the uh, some commentary from Fed Chair Powell, perhaps you know lean more hawkish. That is lean to uh, embrace the idea that 75 basis points is a real possibility next month. Um, you know that could that could trigger a more negative reaction in, in Treasuries, which you know a lot of people think still have a good ways to go. Um, in terms of uh, upward movement in yield before uh, before they kind of settle down, and so uh, if you if you get this knee jerk volatility in the treasury market where you have a quick spike in longer dated treasury yields, um, that's likely to weigh continue to weigh on sentiment just as it has all year in the stock market. So on some levels, it looks to me like the stock market is already taking care of its inflation problem somewhat with the S and P down ten percent, the Nasdaq down twenty percent. We don't want to see those markets go back to all-time highs in a month because that would be counterproductive to maybe what the Fed pulled off there by getting some deflationary pressures. What do you think is going to happen, though, with the housing market with all the Fed action on the upside has changed the, the teeter-totter of, of mortgages? It's no longer cheap money. And in fact, for adjustable rate mortgages, home equity lines of credit, the money that you have there is suddenly much more expensive on what you owe. And getting new money is is going to have a higher cost considerably as well. Any thoughts on the Fed taking down the housing market? Right, they're all great observations, Rob. I mean, you will see you know uh, slower demand uh, in in housing uh, just by virtue of the fact that you know things are getting more expensive. Um, uh, they're believed that the affordability cost index is uh, at an all time low. I, I think I recently read. Um, so, uh, so certainly on the margin, you're going to see a slowdown there and a red hot housing sector, which really, you know, some people would suggest, and it may not be such a bad thing because there's been such strong demand and such limited supply that, you know, price, uh, increases have just gone, you know, through the roof in, in most markets. And we need some moderation there in the, uh, the pace of price increases, so that affordability can become, uh, well, more affordable again, but, uh, the unfortunate you know, mitigating factor at the moment is that what might be gained in any price moderation is also being taken away by higher mortgage rates. So it's got to get to an equilibrium there where uh, buyers are comfortable that, um, uh, that the prices are at good levels and that, you know, mortgage rates aren't, uh, you know, aren't going to go significantly higher. 
You mentioned volatility a couple times in this segment. I'm speaking with Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com, a reliable source for domestic and international business content. I use it each and every day. Start with page one. You mentioned volatility. I'm a little fascinated with the VIX. Um, anytime it gets above 30 and is in the 40 range, and I'm like, that seems to be a good time to buy because people are panicking. And when it gets up to the 50 range, I'm like, that's a once in a lifetimer. It's never once in a lifetime. Yeah. But it seems to be a better gauge to me than where the 10 year sits. Any thoughts on the VIX? Certainly. Uh, and again, another another good uh, point to highlight. Uh, and it's also one of those factors where, you know, I do think that the market is looking for an excuse to rally because, you know, elevated levels in the VIX, uh, you know, are generally reflective of, you know, high anxiety uh, where uh, market participants are, you know, hedging against uh, using options to hedge against, uh, you know, further inside in the portfolios. And so when you see really high VIX readings, Paired with what are really low bullish sentiment readings. Um, in fact, the American Association of Individual Investors bullish sentiment reading is below 20% or was at the end of April, uh, and that's the lowest it's been since March of 2009. Um, you probably recall what happened in March 2009, Rob. That was actually the, the low of the financial crisis, um, and we saw you know big rally after that, but. So you have really low uh, bullish sentiment. You have high uh, uh, VIX readings, um, and uh, and just there's just a lot of negativity out there. And so that's why you know your listeners probably have heard a number of people talk about the prospect of there being a sort of a a, a, a nice rally effort unfolding here in the near term, uh, based on a lot of contrarian indications. And so it, it, given how oversold we've gotten too. That's why I'm suggesting it doesn't take much really here for a market that's looking for an excuse to rally, and it's just hoping to find that little nugget of information out of Fed Chair Powell today that, that kind of puts the green light out there to uh, to stage a rally effort. Look at the FOMC policy statement at 2 o'clock Eastern time today, the Fed Chairman Powell's press conference at 2.30 Eastern time. Any last couple thoughts that you want to throw down while we've got a couple minutes left in the segment? Well, with respect to to the actual announcement, you know, I encourage your listeners not to uh, not to get too tied up in what the uh, the knee jerk reaction is on the FOMC announcement. Um, there's always a, a, it's always a quite volatile, you know, in the immediate aftermath of the release of the directive. Um, but in this case, you really do need to listen to what Fed Chair Powell is, is going to say uh, because the market needs the context behind uh, you know what the Fed is thinking at this point. And when it has that context, there'll be a better uh, uh, a way to kind of assess, you know, the directional bias for the market based on what the Fed chair has uh, has said today. So, uh, so you have to be a little bit patient here, but um, it's really important to to hear what what he's going to say. All very interesting stuff. Thanks for joining me today, as you always do on Wednesdays. Um, <clears throat> briefing.com is a reliable source of domestic and international news. It's Patrick O'Hare. Today, it's really all about the Fed and what they give us and what we try to unpack from it. It's interesting because there are companies like Uber and Lyft and Marriott and Airbnb reporting numbers that are, again, showing relatively good numbers in the United States for demand for travel and leisure. Um, with that out there, there's still that swirl of what are the feds going to do? How much this time? How much next time? I think the shock would be if they do more than 50. And if they say next 
June, this June, next month, we're going to do potentially 75. It depends on what they really show us because they also do something uh, where they update us on a pretty regular basis, what they're thinking, what they're kind of assuming the individual voter is going to do. And we read a lot into that data. Uh, better than expected earnings guidance out of AMD, Airbnb, Moderna, CVS Health, Paycom, Generac. They've been uplifting and influential positively. But again, we're dealing with um, how long will inflation last? When will the slowdown hit the housing market if it hits the housing market? What does that slowdown mean for the economy? What does the slowdown in the stock market return mean for the economy? I will spend less money this year if I feel like I'm making less money in my stocks. I will spend less money this year if I feel like I'm making less appreciation in my home equity value. Um, and yeah, I do look at it and it's, it's something I probably shouldn't within reason because my stocks are really meant for my retirement income and my home is really meant for maybe something I pass on to my heirs. Not a big piggy bank for me, but although I use it as a piggy bank when I take out equity lines of credit and things like that, you get the idea. There's some problems here, a lot to watch, but today it's Fed Day. And tomorrow morning, it'll be Fed, or today it'll be Fed Reaction, a couple hours, then tomorrow morning, it'll be Fed Interpretation morning, and then we'll be moving on to the next meeting and the next earnings and the next inflation report and the next jobs report, of which comes this Friday. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show. Let's talk about a recession. They're not bad. They don't stink. They're not a dirty word. But financial media has turned them into a dirty word. I think it's part of a normal economic cycle, kind of like a weather cycle. Um, spring has lovely flowers that come from the melting of the snow and the rain. Those lovely flowers ultimately get burned by the heat of summer. The heat of summer breaks and turns into the decay of fall where leaves fall off of trees. And the, the decay of fall turns into a, a dead winter, which starts the whole economic or the whole weather cycle again. Seasons long for one another. What does a recession mean to you? It's not a bad word. A recession is part of an economic cycle. It's it's not determined um, that it's going to ruin you. It's a significant decline in economic activity resulting from several factors. Typically, you see high unemployment, a slowdown of goods produced and sold. You see wages falling in addition to negative GDP readings. What happens during a recession? It differs like gold and clay. A lot of people lose their jobs this is the thought. In the last recession, more than 22 million people were laid off. People who keep their jobs during a recession may have their hours or their commission rates reduced. Employers also tend to cut back on bonuses during a recession. So you won't have the same bargaining power that you have right now as people are trying desperately to fill positions. Common wisdom is that even in a recession, you have to get your hair cut. Common wisdom is that this recession will be caused by a pandemic um, and how the Fed Reserve responded to it and how the United States government responded to it, but also the, around the world. Let's be very realistic that we are a global economy right now. 
here's what I would do if you're worried. I would look at your health insurance coverage. Most of the U.S. population had employment-based health insurance in 2020. 7.7 million Americans lost employment-based insurance that covered 6.9 million dependents from February to June of 2020 after being laid off. If you lose your employment-based health insurance, you usually have 60 days to decide if you want to continue with the same exact program through what's called COBRA. But COBRA, you pay the full cost of your health insurance plan, including the portion your employer may have been footing the bill on. It's very expensive. Do banks give out loans during recessions? Lenders have to be a lot more selective because if one of the two incomes in the household were lost due to a job loss, it's riskier because now you're one you know, job cut away from having no income coming into your family. If you're leaning on credit right now, try to stop that lean. One thing that's struck me is recently I've been getting emails like, what should I do if the market goes lower? Should I stay in cash? I'm like, you could look at the 10-year treasury and it's yielding 3%. You don't stay in cash and get zero. There's ways of playing it that are intelligent. There's ways of playing that are, are just silly. I'm never going to be 100% on the market. So if you think that's the answer I'm going to give you, it's not going to happen. Or better yet, I don't see a scenario at this time where that happens. Maybe if like Putin kidnaps me and puts me in a back room and Jack Bauer's on his way to save me, do, 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 do. And he beats me and says, sell all your stocks now, sell all your stocks now. Maybe then, but I don't see that happening. Right now, you should be paying off debt, paying bills on time, paying off some of your credit balances so you can lower your credit utilization rate in case we do hit a slowdown or recession. You should kind of be taking a baby steps of, of beefing up for a worst case scenario because it feels like the Federal Reserve has got some really tough decisions with higher interest rates. If corporations aren't hitting stocks at all-time highs, sometimes CEOs get fired, and instead of getting fired to hit their earnings next quarter, they fire people. They let go of people. They financially engineer the company with the highest cost of doing business, labor. And that leads to people losing jobs, and you stop spending money because you lose confidence. You're like, hey, Joe across the street lost his job, and him and his kid are, are, are standing on the side of the street asking for money. I, I think I better hold on to what I have right now. So you change your ideas on spending because you see someone else Either physically do it or you heard that Joe has lost his job down the street. If you can afford to keep some money in the stock market during a recession, you should. The biggest mistake investors made during the global financial crisis was to get out of stocks at the bottom. I know someone in this industry who was panicked with every major panic. As the VIX went from 10 to 20, wow, we're good, we're good. As the VIX went from 20 to 30, ah, we're good, we're good. As the VIX went from 30 to 35 and sell-off hits 5%, 10%, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, ah, we're good, we're good, 40. Ah, I got to get out. I can't take the pain anymore. It's like, wait, wait, wait. If you know that there's a threshold of pain, why did you let it get this far? And I've seen it numerous times, and you see it all over CNBC. The financial media is making it very, very clear that a recession is coming. Gird yourself for it. Protect yourself a little bit. Um, don't go in like the Romans, all drunk and partying. Woo! Sold my house last year. I'm going to drink all the, the whiskey that I can buy. 
that'll run out. Be a little bit leaner. I saw some signs last year, and the, the most famous one was my friend who I lost the friendship with because I made fun of her on air. I highlighted on air that she's a, a mother and not a stock picker, and she basically used her stimulus money to start getting into stocks, and she's lost it all. And she used some money that she sold from a house where had she held on to that house for another year or two years, it would have made a significant improvement on her road to retirement. But she didn't know. She got caught up in the headlines. She saw people making 80%, 90% returns, and she did the math on her little amount of savings. She's like, I could stay out of work for a longer period of time and be closer to my daughter. I get it. But that to me was a sign that, uh-oh, things are about to go bad. When cab drivers are giving you investment tips, we're in trouble. Got to go pick up my next fare. I'm late for my Uber shift. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show. Dot com of note i'm not an uber driver irreverent over the top and smart as a whip this is the rob black show three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.